0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th. And it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose. And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now.
1: x-man podcast number six i am your host mr doc coyle i want to thank everyone who checked out our previous episode with christian oldie wolbers x fear factory that episode got picked up by some websites we made some news so that's exciting the the word is spreading about the show i'm not going to waste too much time in this intro i have one little announcement one to make my band vegas nerve is actually doing Our first mini tour in January, we'll be doing a run of dates in Southern California. We are still finalizing some dates, but the dates I can announce are January 18th at Skinny's Lounge in North Hollywood, California, January 19th at Blacklight District Lounge in Long Beach, California, and January 20th at the Riff House in Fullerton, California, which is actually a invite an invite only show associated with nam actually set up through my homie christian from el nino so very very excited uh previously vegas nerve has only done one show before this so this will be our first run of dates after the release of our debut ep visceral so all you socal people or people who are in town for nam uh check out those dates we'll be announcing stuff asap I would also like to announce the first sponsor of the X-Man podcast from a band called Animus Complex. They are from Phoenix, Arizona. They have been fortunate enough to share the stage with bands like Animals as Leaders, Devin Townsend Project, Tesseract, Between the Buried and Me, Monuments, and many others. They have a new single, And music video out for a song called Horizon, which is off the album Immersion. Uh, You can find that at their Bandcamp page, which is animuscomplex.bandcamp.com. And that's A-N-I-M-U-S, Complex. Immersion was produced by Matt Good from the band From First to Last. This is the first Sponsor We've had on the show and if you're interested in sponsoring the show, please hit me up via social media. If your band is whack, I will not take your money. (laughs) I'm sorry about that, but I definitely have to have standards and obviously we want to support the show and then any revenue that comes in is definitely going to help me do this and make better shows and get better guests and invest into equipment and stuff so i really appreciate animus complex coming along and helping out so this is their song horizon That was Horizon by Animus Complex. That's That was awesome. Really excited to have cool bands and, and give them some exposure. So definitely check them out. Up next, we have my buddy Tommy Vexed, Very, very old friend. Like many guests on the podcast, it's people I have long relationships with. And, and Tommy's one of my best friends. We've been playing in bands together for a long time. And you will hear all about that. His band, Westfield Massacre, has a Kickstarter campaign they are doing for their new album and to help with their touring so definitely check that out at their facebook and you just go and kickstarter and look up westfield massacre you know you have google you know how to use that shit I ain't my job to teach you how to use google anyway check out my talk with tommy vexed In my life, we got so we've got some coffee over here. We've got some tea, green tea. Yeah, uh, we have my homie, one of my best friends, friends, my brother from another mother. That's right, the son of a bitch I've known forever,
2: forever and
0: ever.
1: Mister Tommy Vex, welcome to the X Man podcast. Ah, uh-huh. thanks, Doc. Thanks for having me. Of course. I appreciate it, of course, man. I'm you... very
2: excited to be a part of your podcast show.
1: So, as far as I'm concerned you are someone that I've had my eye on for the show for a while and obviously we're we're friends yeah. but I think your story in particular is like super interesting and, yeah. and one of and in a way the type of story that that this show exists for because you've been in several bands of, of note and there's been a lot of controversy <laughs> yeah you could say that that Ta- is an accurate.
2: Uh, that's an accurate portrayal. Tommy
1: Vexed and controversy go hand in hand. Yes. So I, I don't know how many people who are fans of you now or fans of some of your recent bands know about your your history. So mm-hmm. I will, I'm going to do a little speaking for you at this moment, but sure. I met Tommy when he was in a band called Vexed. Yes. Kind of crazy. Uh, in I think it was 2003 or 2002 mm-hmm. at a 40 Below Summer show and New Jersey Jersey some Jersey shit and Max the singer from 40 Below Summer put the mic out into the audience and we heard some dude in the crowd that sounded better than the people on the stage (laughs) 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 no offense to Max I love Max but you know Tommy that shit was sounding hard and me and my brother were there and we were like who's that dude and then we we rolled up on him he's like what's up I'm Tommy Vixed. Here's my CD. <laughs> <laughs> How come when we, you tell the story, I always sound like Steven Seagal? <laughs> yeah, but you know where Steven Seagal's from? From fucking from Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Brooklyn well, bro. in, well, I don't know in real life, but in Alfred Justice, he's yeah. he's from Brooklyn. He's Classic like, I'm going to keep coming back. Does somebody so remember remembers seeing Richie? Ain't hey, anybody <laughs> know why Richie did Bobby Lupo? All right, so if you know me, you know I've seen Alfred Justice about 600 times. I saw it twice.
2: Twice, memory. get get
1: the fuck out of my house.
2: Okay,
1: hold on, man. How many times you seen "Marked for Death"?
2: Uh, like four.
1: How many times you seen uh, "Out for Justice"?
2: Probably a lot more.
1: Under Siege, uh, three times. All right, you can stay. So, I want to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's the criteria, yo, man. For entrance, you to need to have seen apartment. X amount of Van Damme, Schwarzenegger, mm. or as I call him, Schwarzenegger movies. Uh, <laughs> True story, and Seagal movies to hang to hang. Yeah. All right, so this band Vexed, what was going on with that band, and how did how did that kind of segue into you leaving the East Coast and and joining Divine I mean, Heresy?
2: I mean, Vex was uh, you know, I Vex was a band that I actually joined the I was in the same band with the same four group of dudes since I was thirteen years old till I was like twenty, and so it was like. I grew up in this neighborhood in Brooklyn called Garrettson Beach, and uh, it was it's basically like where Sheep's Head Bay and like Coney Island, it's in that area. It's a very small uh, shanty part of Brooklyn that nobody really knows about. I think it's still there. I think it, most of it got wiped out in Hurricane Sandy, um, but I grew up there, and uh, I I was into heavy metal and into rock bands, and I joined this band. The guitar player Mike was my grandmother's next door neighbor. And um, they needed a singer to play the show, and uh, they had weed. <laughs>
1: Is that what like you were on the weed? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, and they were just cool dudes. Like they, you know what I mean. Like they, they, they were just cool. And uh, I wanted to be in their band, so I, I auditioned and I sang. How old were you? I think I was thirteen. It's so like nineteen ninety five. I want to say. Young Nuts Tommy. Um, yeah, and I was like, I was really into the Down record, um, and I sang "Stone the Crow," and they were like,
0: "Oh my God, bro!"
2: <laughs> and then they like called up their the band leader Jimmy, who's the drummer, and he was like the leader of the band, and they were like, and me and Jimmy had had a fist fight earlier that winter over I don't know because you know when you I got into fist fights all the time as a kid, and like me and him got into a fist fight. And our friend Joey broke it up, and then whatever. So we didn't like each other. And he was like, "All right, bro, you can sing, sing." And he was on the phone, and I sang like the first part of "Stone the Crow." And he was like, "He's in the band, like he's good." <laughs> so then we started. We had, we called ourselves the Dogs of War, and we jammed every day. And then we became Maniacal Disciple, and then we changed to Vexed. And Listen, then, I
1: don't know why you changed from Maniacal Disciple. That's just hard. I know.
2: I'm, <laughs> but we should probably do like a, like I'm, well, next time I go to New York, we might actually do like a little jam session. You know, you um, should,
1: it's been the first album by Maniacal Disciple, Stabbing Fools. St-
2: <laughs> <laughs> Captain Stabbing. <laughs> Wait, that's something else. So but yeah, you, anyway, we got, we so Vexed, we did our thing for a while. You know, we got on Street Patrol, then we were on SOU, and then we were playing shows with 40 Below Summer, El Nino, Biohazard, Candiria. You guys
1: got a record deal, though, right? Yeah,
2: Candiria took us on tour with Burned by the Sun, and we did a small East Coast run. They took me on the first tour I've ever been on. I wasn't even old enough to drink.
1: Shout out to Candiria.
2: Yeah, that's right. Um, Brooklyn's finest. And then uh, we got signed to Lakeshore Records, which is a label uh, that Candiria had put a double CD out on. And it was an offshoot of Lakeshore Entertainment, which is a film company that does the movie
1: Underworld. No, I still see their insignia on on movies now, and I I still think they do soundtracks and stuff. They
2: still do movies and stuff like in soundtracks and whatnot. However, I have never gotten any royalties because we didn't sell that many records.
1: Yo, man, do we need to make, need to make a few stops? You know, when I'm over on the East Coast, gonna do go this talk to way, some people, knock on a couple doors,
2: you know, ask some questions. Actually, they're from they're from out here. I just, whatever. Uh, so anyway, we did the band. We we did, we we you know, we shot a music video on Coney Island. It was like, you know, I was like, we were like hardcore and metal and rap. Yo, by and, the way, and, I should
1: I should interject. Tommy had an afro and that shit was dope.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. I have it's growing back a little bit, it's, but it's oh, just a, damn. it's a frohawk. Frohawk, it's been going since the 70s Yo, that's where I just decided to not shave. Damn. my head you need um, that. You,
1: I think with that, you need to be like in the Source or the Vibe Awards. That's what I'm saying, man. Yeah. You're looking looking like a brother, man. I'm feeling it. Yo, you know what I mean. You just gotta, you know. So it. so so, what happened between doing that doing that band and then all of a sudden this opportunity to join Divine Heresy?
2: cool so divine heresy was the big the big jump like it was a big break in my career obviously that's where like kind of i got introduced to z world um so vex was kind of not doing anything i had like moved into the position in that in that band of like the hustler and i was getting things done and um you know i just uh i kind of hit a wall where like the guys were not as serious and then people had things going on relationships jobs baby family you know regular when you're get when you're like 21 and you're like oh the it's like all right we're at, we're not in high school anymore like we're we're adults and so the the band broke up and i um i i i had this internal need to You know, I was like, when I was younger, I had gotten into some trouble uh, because I was like hanging out with the wrong crowd, and I was like, just behaving in a lifestyle that wasn't conducive, which was pretty common um, for the area I grew up in. And and I had gotten beaten up pretty bad. These guys ran me over with a car and beat me up with baseball bats. And and after that, I was like, you know, I'm not dealing with drugs. I don't want. I'm not selling drugs. I'm not hanging out with these people. And I decided I was gonna be, if I was famous or a rock star, that that would solve all my problems. Uh, and so, I was trying out for all these different bands. I was jamming with different people. I mean, even you, you and me, and your brother were jamming. And yeah. You guys were doing, God
1: forbid. And um, but I think Vex was still active though when were we, we were jamming. Were we? I don't remember. We wrote some. Obviously, we we wrote like two hot ass tracks. Well, I have to say.
2: We, you know, we we should. I'm gonna put some money up. We're gonna have to. We should record those. We should fly Jimmy out. Listen, one of the songs
1: I still have in demo form. I have to re-record. Yo, that shit is dope. And bro. I still remember that one riff. Photographic memory. Yeah, but yo, you know some shit is catchy and you yeah. remember it like ten years later. That's what I'm saying. That that is a um, sign. So, I, doo, 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 well, yeah, but that you know that's that's but the but ultimate that's, catchy. That's the ultimate. By the uh, way, this is this is very inside baseball right now. We're seeing yeah. riffs that we wrote that you guys don't know about. But guess what? Before you, you were born, before guitar ever laid in your hands, young man. Yeah, when <laughs> I invented heavy metal. Yeah Back in 1992. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, anyway,
2: so I was I was going on, I was trying out for all this stuff, right? And this guy, I was at Purple Light Studios in Brooklyn with Mike Barilli, and I was demoing another Vex song that I wrote with Jimmy. Um, and a guy knew Dino from Fear Factory, and he was like, yeah, this dude's looking for a singer. I don't even know if he actually knew him or was just like my space friends with him. That's how long ago this was. And so I emailed Dino and I was like, Bro, I'm the greatest ever. Like, you don't even know. Like, you did your best Donald Trump. I will be the best. I will be the greatest. I was basically, yeah. I was like, it's gonna we're gonna make heavy metal great again, bro. Listen, let me tell you, bro, you haven't put anything out since you left Fear Factory. You need to come back. I don't speak Spanish. Asesino sounds great, but I don't know. But I speak English. Let me be in your band. Let me be in your band.
1: The great, the great and, uh, Brooklyn pitch.
2: Yeah, and then uh, he responded, <laughs> and then uh, he, I sent him the music video that we did, which was terrible. Like, it, like looking back, it's nostalgic. It's really funny. Is that on YouTube? Yeah, it's on YouTube, it's Vex, and it's called Prescription, and it's like, I was like 18 years old, I was rapping on top of a van. I got to watch like this. I had like these bright white shoes, and like, I fucking perfectly, I had the perfect, like, that New York haircut, like, Listen, I should have, if I, I was just missing a pair of Timbos and a gun, and I wouldn't Amen. Hey, you still, <laughs> yo, you
1: you still head up the barbershop? You, you getting... No, nah,
2: I don't, I just, I, I go once in a while, like, because <clears throat> I have the, because I have a Mohawk, so I go there and make sure they get the back right, and then... I'll do I'll do it myself with two mirrors to keep it clean and then when I fuck up I go back.
1: All right, no. Yeah, Asa
2: fades on Melrose. Shout out to Asa
1: Fades. Right I'm saying I have a lot of white people on this show. So we don't talk a lot about the barbershop. So The barbershop is an essential pl- I feel like more I feel like more people
2: should even this should, even if you don't if you have if you're a long-haired metal dude, there needs to be a place where men go and just are allowed to be men and talk about men stuff. That's what the barbershop is about. It's like there's no alcohol well, sometimes people come in there with syrup like, <laughs> and drink in the barbershop. But, you know, you could talk about stuff like relationships and politics and work and, you know, it's just like, it's like with Chris Rock. He's like, a oh, man's got to
1: go somewhere before he, he gets home. Son. He's got, he got to, to eat drink something. something. He's got to eat ah, Before
2: all the talking he's going to have to do <laughs> when he come home from work.
1: Well, you know what? All right. So you just gave me an idea. We're changing the name of the podcast from the X-Men to the dot core Barbershop. All right. There you go. There you go. Well, you know, well, a man can be a man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Go out there, man. A brother can't do what a brother can't do, man. Come on. <laughs> all right. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. Uh-huh. anyway, so. What do you know about You, you God send me? this letter to Dino talking about I'm the man on, on my re- space. He reaches back. Yeah,
2: he reaches back and he's like, cool, whatever, bro. He's like, you know, he was like, all right. He's like, uh, he's like I'll send you two demos and. You could you could demo them. Now this was in two thousand and five, in the in the winter. So this was like eleven years ago now. So
1: was this when still when Nick Barker was part of the project? Yeah.
2: No, Nick Barker had exited, and Tim had just they had just switched out something like that. Um, and then Asasino uh, was on tour with Static X, and so two weeks later they were at Irving Plaza in New York. So, and I used to be a bouncer at Irving Plaza. I was still actually a bouncer at that time. So I took the night off at of work because I didn't want to get, I didn't want them to look at me like I was like, you know, a thug. <laughs> <laughs> Little did they know. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so I came and hung out for the show and like I knew everyone at the venue. So he was like, oh, this guy's like really juiced in. Like everybody knows him. And then uh, we went and picked up Jamie Josta from Jamie's Hotel. And Joey Z from Life of Agony. And like, you know what I'm saying, nigga? I was trying to keep it cool. I'm like,
1: I'm in a fucking character. You you hadn't met any of those guys at that point?
2: I had played shows with Jamie because Hatebreed, Vex had opened for Hatebreed a a bunch of times. But like, we didn't know each other. And Perseverance had come out and like they were, they had been uh, ascended to a new level of Power and
1: confidence, so You were almost like sign my titties. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, they thanked us on their record. They put Vexed on their record. Oh, that's they, awesome. They put a lot of bands that had toured and done shows with them on their record that were nobody,
1: which was really. Uh, well, that's how the hardcore scene was back in the day. You I would know put everybody. All your, everybody all your were,
2: was friends with each other. It was it was rad. Um, so yeah, we went out and hung out one night, and uh, you know, and 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 then he was like, "All right," and that actually that's when he sent me the songs, and I I went into Candiria Studio in um, and, and, and Rockaway Queens and Kenny, the drummer of Candyria, who also jams with us in uh, Rebel Noise Group he recorded my vocal demo and the first two songs were Save
1: Yourself and The Thread Is Fucking Real yeah I remember I heard I think, I forget where we were, I think we are somewhere around Times Square or something like that you played me The Thread Is Real uh, in like a car and I remember just oh, being, it was your car. and I remember just being like yo this shit is, this is crazy. Heavy. I was like, I didn't know it could be like this. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I was I was blown away. So when you showed me the demo, were you already like in or you didn't know yet? Well, I
2: sent him the song that night and he called me. I don't know what was going on. And I was like, <clears throat> I was living it. I had moved home. I had bro- I broke up with my girlfriend. I lived- moved home. And I was living with my mom in this, like, apartment. And the phone rang at, like, 2 in the morning. I was like, my mom at work. So, I was like, like, you know, I was like, bro, bro, He's like, who is this? He's like, it's Dino Casares. And I was like, look at this fucking 2 in the morning. <laughs> and he's like, bro, you're in. You're in the band. I was like, I'm in? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, all right, dude, I got to go to sleep. guy. I have work in the morning, too. Right? So, anyway... I, I was in the band and then th- nothing really happened. There was no correspondence, right? So, you know, I was like, oh, what if they're trying other people out? Blah, blah blah. So then Roadrunner United happened in yeah. in 2005. It was the 25th anniversary Roadrunner United thing, and again because I was uh, I knew where the rehearsals were above Hammerstein Ballroom because I was I was a security guard for the biggest company in in Manhattan. So we moved to every music venue. I got that job so I could infiltrate the industry and Mm -hmm. fucking learn all the people I need to know and so on and so forth. So I showed up to the rehearsals and Machine Head was there. And I've known Rob from since I was 15 years old. I've been into Machine Head music videos. Like One time he left his shoes at the music video and me and my buddies had to drive them from Brooklyn to New Jersey. To fucking, cause he left his like his wardrobe Mm -hmm. case at the fucking shoot, and he gave us free tickets. And I sang on stage with Machine Head at CBGBs in '96. Like I was a huge, you know, I was in the scene where I was like, one, I cut school, I fucking got in trouble, I almost got kicked out of school for going meet Pantera. Like, like I was just, I was about the music, I was about that life. And uh, Rob was like, "What's up, dude?" And Machine Head and Trivium were playing at Irving Plaza that night, and Rob didn't want to sing the rehearsals. And he was like, "Bro, do you want to sing some of the songs?" And I was like, "Yes." <laughs> He's like, "Do you know this song?" I, don't I was like, like that very much. "Yeah." And it was like Andreas Kisser from Sepultura and Joey Jordanson and Corey Taylor and Matt Heafy and Corey from Trivium and like, dude, it was crazy. It was like even the that guy uh that kid Jordan was there from uh what was that band? They had that song White Walls on Roadrunner.
1: Oh, I know who you're talking about Agony. Uh <laughs> Dagney scene? No, no, you're you're talking about... Um, somebody else. Still Remains. Still Remains, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like,
2: that kid was there, and Dino was there, and Shadows Fall were there, and Killswitch were there, and the and and fucking... Uh, dude, it was crazy. So Scottie Ann up, was
1: there. So you got up, and you're... So they gave me a song to sing one song. What song? Davidian. Okay, you know that shit. Yeah, yeah,
2: and I crushed it. And, and, like, as we were jamming, like, you could tell... Like, you know how, like... Like these dudes are like, who's this guy? And like, like halfway through, all these dudes, like these niggas are like, this nigga can sing, <laughs> right? And they're all cheesing, like, yo, look at this kid. Like, again, like, you know, I was like 20 or 21. I was 21 or 22 or something. And uh, and so it was. But like, Dino was there too, playing. Yeah, he right? was there. And that's and and like that was my whole ploy. Like that was my live in my head. I was like, I just gotta get this guy to see my energy
1: live, bro. Yeah. Cause it
2: translates. To yeah. put To
1: put two and two together.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so 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 then I was like, I sang the song and they were like, Bro, do you wanna sing replica? I was like, Fuck yeah. They're like, Yo, do you do you know refuse resist? I'm like, the fuck I do. They're like, Do you know servicing? I'm like, Hell yeah. They're like <laughs> banging songs out, just like <laughs> So anyway, that was the day before the show that I went out, I saw Machine Head, I hung out with Dino, whatever. And then the, and then they asked me to come back to do the 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 sound check. So I went to during the day to go to Soundcheck, and Corey Taylor was there. And so I was singing Servicing, and you know Corey Taylor walks out on stage. He was watching me the whole time. And he was like, bro, how the fuck do you do that? And I was, and I was like, oh, we have the same singing teacher. We Corey and I both have, go to Mel- Melissa Cross yeah. in New York City. Shout out to Melissa. Shout out to Melissa. Making careers happen.
1: I got to get her on the show.
2: Oh, yeah. That'd be amazing. So anyway, uh, so he's like, bro, you know what? You're singing tonight with me. And I was like, I am.
1: <laughs> smelling like a brew. I
2: know, and I was, yeah, basically. And he was like, yup. And I was like, you know, and I like, you know, I, I've been sober for almost eight years. And this was like ten years ago. I have a, a, a reputation for getting a little too drunk back in the day, and so I was like, "I better not drink and fuck this up." You <laughs> right? So I like had I, I like I made sure that I didn't get drunk, right? And then anyway, the show went off. Everything was rad. Uh, you know, it, that was an, it. Was a fun night. They made the mistake of having an open bar before the show happened, and so like people were just going down like flies. I remember like my coworkers. They were were had to drag Brian Fair from Shadows Fall through the thing. My two of my best friends got kicked out of the fucking party because they got too drunk. Like people, it was just nuts because everyone
1: was so drunk. Um, so by the way, that footage of you playing with oh yeah with, it became a DVD. It's, a, it's, a, it's online, right? People yeah, can yeah. You it. could
2: look at if you YouTube uh, Roadrunner United uh, Sick. Uh, I, I think it is even says you he, just did that one song? Tommy Vex. Yeah, I did that, and then I, I did the end of that song. And then I sang uh, backup vocals on um, Roots when everybody came out the ensemble.
1: And yeah. so I was like with Logan and Jesse Leach and we were like on the same side. So so after that show, did you, you spoke to Dino, I was like, all right, are you ready to do this kind of thing? No, or?
2: the next day Rob Caggiano hit me up and was like, do you want to sing for this band? And he was doing a band with John Tempesta and I was like, yeah, but I'm supposed to be singing for Dino's band. And then a couple, then a bunch of other people started hitting me up and then, you know, I did like, uh, I played a show with, I got Vex back together to do a showcase for me Mm -hmm. and we played with Mark Rizzo and Mike Gitter and all those guys came out when they were a roadrunner and, you know, and he was like, you you know, they're like, the kid can sing, you can sing. And, uh. So then, uh, I think Dino called me. He was like, "Are you going to be singing for Rob's band?" And I was like, "No, not if you fucking get me in your band." Like, I don't know what you're waiting. I'm
1: like, I'm I'm not waiting around. Time is a is a ticking.
2: Yeah. So then I flew out to L.A. a month later and joined Divine Heresy. Now, when record.
1: you you flew out there, did you flew out there like, all right, I'm moving to Los Angeles? Or I mean, it- I didn't
2: have anything. I was like, a, I was a poor kid. You know what I mean? I was poor most of my life. I I literally took a bag full of clothes and I I quit my job and I had a couple hundred bucks, like. I
1: had no idea yeah. what I was doing. Was that scary?
2: No, no. I've been through. I, I was like, I was in the hood. I was like, anything's no, better than no, this. No, no, this no. nothing could be worse than this. I thought yeah. I was like, I thought you know, I was you like, we're made, going was, to the promised land. That
1: was your your moment. Yeah, yeah. So I I was like
2: freedom.
1: <laughs> I was
2: like, we are not gonna have to fucking deal with crack smoking niggas ever again. <laughs> you know what I
1: mean? How did you take to L.A. Oh, it was weird. Yeah,
2: it was weird. People were very... I went for... I'm so aggro. Well, not anymore. Obviously, I've mellowed out as I've gotten older, and I've been living uh, bicoastally for over a decade. Uh, But yeah, I just didn't get it. Like, you know, in in where I grew up, if somebody was... If you were at a bar and someone looked at you too long, it meant, like, they were going to, like, beat you up or stab you. So I'd be at, like, the Rainbow, and people, like, I'm new in town, and, you know, dudes are like, who's that dude? Who's Dino's friend? You know what I mean? And I'd be like, take a bottle and smash it. And be like, what the fuck are you looking at? And they're like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I had to be taught how to fucking how people like. I, you know, but I was like there, a wild is, animal. Is
1: there an art to smashing a bottle so you can use that as a weapon? Yeah, you have to hold
2: it like this. I don't want to teach
1: people this. You no, I'm hold- just saying.
2: Like I see you, it in a movie, but you, I feel like
1: it, that's not a real thing. No,
2: if you you want to get mostly the top part broken off because if you hold it by the bottom grip It'll, and break it, you're just gonna have the shards and then if you actually hit oh, it even if you stab the wall the per, the 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 probability is that it's going to slip through your grip yeah. and then the glass is going to cut your hand instead of you cutting into whatever Tommy's
1: teach me how to end human life thanks Tommy No no listen bro guys take notes take notes
2: listen <laughs> Is my paramilitary training is coming out.
1: So how how quickly did the Lead the fifth record come together? Like, did the band have a deal at that point or anything? No, we didn't have a deal. But there were
2: the songs were demoed, and then um, I moved into with with Dino and his buddy Russell. They had a house, and there was like seventeen people living there. It was crazy in
1: East LA. I I went by that house. That shit was looking crazy. Gate
2: Street the gates of hell <laughs> no but it was cool you know i mean like in retrospect it's you know i was like there was like they they're they would call themselves the poor kids all the like, dudes that lived in the house it was like a punk rock house yeah and like nobody had jobs and nobody you know i don't know whatever like i don't know what i don't know how niggas were making money to pay the rent there but they were they, they <laughs> and i just like shit
1: because they was doing shit
2: yeah yeah and i like i slept in a closet for like the first six a six closet? to nine how months. does one is it yeah could i got you lay it, down yeah, yeah, it was like a long closet, and I just moved into the closet, and then I slept there for uh, on and off for a couple months. I got a job working at the Roxy as a bouncer, and then I got a job at the Key Club. So I would, and I had no car, so I would take the bus like two and a half hours from from to East LA all the way to work, and then sometimes somebody would give me a ride home or I'd like wind up having a like crash at one of my buddies Yo motherfucker that places. gives you a
1: ride to East LA is like should, Well no should some, get of like the, an Olympic some of the some of the other
2: guys I worked with lived in the same oh, okay. neighborhood so okay. it was like I would they would they are like bro don't take the bus it's like you won't get home till 4 and then I would wake up at 11 and I didn't have a gym membership cuz I had no money and there were weights in the yard so I'd wake up and lift weights and then we'd have practice from noon to five. So I'd have a book bag with
1: my clothes. I love that. There were weights in the yard. You slept in a closet. It was basically Yo, it was like jail. You could leave. Yeah, yeah. Yo, Tommy Vax, hardest nigga alive. Yo, real talk. Like people think
2: people don't know. You know what I mean? Real, like real talk.
1: You know? I'm saying you can't kill me. <laughs> I slept in a closet, fool. Oh, I know. <laughs>
2: We'll get to that later. You
1: like you tell folks, yo, I'm going on the yard. Yeah, <laughs> hit the I'd weights. Yeah, the weights. <laughs> you know? I'm like, and I was like so happy. I'm like, it never rains here, bro.
2: I go walk well, out every day, you know. And so whatever, I was just like working and doing all that. And
1: then we got signed, and um, you know, we, it was like, uh, well, we, I, have to, I have to say I'm a, about that that record, I what I noticed at that point, because that's obviously a time when God forbid was really active mm-hmm. in the metal scene. That record really seemed to penetrate in a way, like it. Listen, it's hard. I think it was maybe a little easier back then, but it's it's difficult to take a brand new band yeah. and have it actually kind of hit or matter right away. And that that record definitely made an impact, as far as I was concerned. It was definitely yeah, on yeah. a on a higher level than I think a lot of the stuff out 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 there.
2: I mean, I think that there were multiple things to take into consideration. For one, obviously, uh, you know. D- despite any personal uh, differences that I had at that time with Dino, it's undeniable his songwriting ability and his innovative guitar tone and his talent. And he hadn't put out a Fear Factory record in a long, long time. And And from what I understood, what I watched and witnessed making a record with him was that he had been putting this material together and he had this record in him and he needed the right guys. And, you know, he got Tim, who was like, uh, he, who was a machine, you know, to play drums and is just like, you know, uh, inhuman, you know, especially like when there are some, there's been some, some really fast drummers that have come out since then. But Believe the Fifth is going to be 10 years old and the the release was August of, of 2007. So you got to understand, like, he was, he, he demolished that record. And then I came in and like, like I said, I was living, I was like. The new face, but I was like complete raw talent, complete like tons and tons of emotional baggage and issues that I got poured into the mic, and our, and I think it was the shows too, because of who Dino was, we got the opportunity to go on our first tours with like Static X and Shadows Fall, but we came out first, and we it was like going to see Pantera. Our goal was to have people uh, limping away. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like we were not playing around. There was a game plan put in place, and um, and and you know, on stage we were amazing.
1: Off stage, not so much. Well, that's the thing. So, what what went wrong? Why did you and Dino? Why did that all fall apart?
2: Well, I think it's a uh, it's a culmination of a lot of things. I think, uh, you know, Dino, the way that I understand it now, and um, being the owner of my own company and the leader of my own band, I understand that he was probably under. Uh, a very high amount of pressure and stress when he he there was a lot of pressure on him to return, you know what I mean. And in terms
1: of just having that band become a, to a have big a property, big,
2: yeah, to have a band and also he, like <clears throat> Dino has never had a like as far as I know he never had a real job outside of playing music. So uh, and I don't say that in a negative connotation. I say that in his, he's a he was a, successful, he's he successful, did. and he's a specialist. So his options were not many. Yes. It was make or break, and so that with, you know, me being somebody who grew up with a with a father not present and and grew up uh, selling drugs to get by and grew up fist fighting on the streets, and you know what I mean. The, like my childhood was brutalized because of a lot of racism that I had to deal with, and so I have a I vehemently ref, like resist. Authoritative figures. Yeah. And so we had a personality
1: clash. So do you think his in, in terms of being authoritative, do you think his intentions were good? And you just misinterpreted it?
2: No, I think that I think that his I think ultimately, uh maybe whatever he thinks whatever he thinks his interpretation of what the experience was, maybe he justifies it as his intentions were good. But however, uh when, with controlling people, Uh, I can be controlling and I have to be told, I have to trust in the, And you know, when it comes to business, I have a no feelings, you know, no feelings allowed, you know, kind of business model that, and that's how I've become successful. Is that
1: how you were back then?
2: Uh, yes. When it came, when it came to disputes, it was, it was like, don't take things personally so you can, so that we can move forward. Everything is about moving forward. Anyway, so I, I'm, I'm more receptive to, uh, like, even you and I collaborating. Like, I, you're a person that I have a relationship with that I trust and I love. And so when you tell me personally that I'm coming at things too hard, I listen and I'm, like, process. And then I have to make decisions to a conscientious decision to take actions that are aligned with that agreement. And it all comes from a place of fear. Yeah. Like, as men, we're afraid things aren't going to happen, so we overexert ourselves. And I think Dino, uh, it was a lot of fear, because I think he's he was accustomed in Fear Factory and other bands to controlling everyone. Um, and he is manipulative, and he's good at that. Like, some people are managers, you know what I mean? Like, But it's not a grocery store. And, you know, it's like, I'm, a, I'm like a rescue dog, and I was like a pit bull that got rescued from the pound, and he poked me too many times, and he got bit.
1: So... For those who don't know, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this probably know the story. It was very publicized where, essentially, you guys got into a fight on stage. Correct. And I guess my, my view at the time was I just thought it was super unfortunate because the band had so much momentum. Like, for example, we were supposed to be playing the New England Metal Fests. Oh, yeah. The, Bru- fi-
2: the fight happened the day before. Actually. So
1: we, God forbid, got an offer to play the New England Metal Fest, but they wanted us to play under Divine Heresy. And we're like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we're like, fuck you, remember? we just sold 70,000 records. <laughs> 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 yeah. We killed it. And and that's not to diss you guys. It's just to give you an idea of how much hype and how yeah. much... Um, the industry was recognizing that this band was on the rise. That you guys were even going to play over a band like us, who had done X, XYZ. and I know you guys had done like a UK tour that was like sold out. Yeah, we headlined. We we
2: we went to the UK. It was I mean it was crazy. We went to the UK. I'd never been. I've done. I did a press tour in Europe before, but we I had never been to play. So the first time we touched down uh, in 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 London, like we I, I didn't. I, we were headlining and I, and there were lines around the block and I was like, what the
1: fuck? Yeah, that's 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 as far as I'm concerned. That's kind of the dream. Like, oh, we go somewhere. That's the culture shock
2: yeah. of of. That's when I realized the European metal scene was. Like basically how hip hop is in America and pop music is in America.
1: But that's also the Roadrunner thing. Them, yeah, that's th- true th- too. Them being able to—they had
2: that reach to to get us the word out. Well,
1: they have the branding. Yeah. You know, and I I had Mike Gitter on the show. I don't know if this is gonna air before that. This actually that'll be probably on the on, on the next show. Shout out to the goods. Um, yeah, you know, but just talking about Bro- Roadrunner's ability to break new bands, mm-hmm. especially in Europe, because they're yeah that community is so dedicated but anyway so i guess my my main thing at the time because the band had so much momentum i felt like it's not that it went down that way or maybe you guys could not work together but the fact that how it went down is just like it's so hard to get that momentum yeah that correct. It, it's like do you kind of regret like is, is there a thing in the back of your mind where, like man i wish i kind of could have just made that work
2: uh i don't i i I mean, as a man, I've had so much, like, that's not a pinnacle moment of my life. You know what I mean? I've had so much more, um, I faced so much more adversity uh, even since then.
1: Uh, I don't regret that, you know? I think that... Well, not what, like, the band dissolving, but just the way in which it, it, like, would you would you do wish you would have, Hey, had a talk, sat down and said, hey, man, this just isn't going to work out for me. You know, I I don't like the business. I don't
2: know, man. Like, yeah, it, I mean, if I had a time machine, but looking back on it, I've made my peace with that. You know, I've publicly apologized to Dino, and I've seen him, and he's not interested in um, in dissolving his grudges, and that's and he is completely entitled to that. Yeah, you know what I mean. And I I respect that. You know, uh, do I regret it? No, because the aftermath of what happened. Ultimately
1: led to my life changing. Yeah. So, so let's let's actually let's 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 talk about that. So yeah. so it wasn't too long after that that you ended up playing with the band Snot. Correct. And how did how did that come about?
2: Well, so after the you know after the on stage fight with Dino in Poughkeepsie, New York, um, I I quit the band or I was fired. You know, depends on who you ask. I mean, <clears throat> I feel like me putting hands on him signified my resignation. <laughs> Uh, that's the best word. <laughs> yeah, huh. but yeah, you know, signified
1: me putting hands on you signifies my resignation. I mean,
2: that's really it. It's like once you go, once you pass that point, and and it had, you know, Dino's a button pusher, and it was like a conti- It wasn't this wasn't an out of the blue thing. It was once like, you
1: go slap, you never go back. Yeah,
2: and so you know, and so that was over. And uh, I was living in San Francisco with my ex fiance at the time, and um, I was. About a month after, you know, I went home and I was like, I need to move back to L.A. And um, she was like, OK. So we found a place in Hollywood and we packed up all our stuff and got a rider truck. And while I was driving. Uh, I didn't even get that far to San Francisco. We, we we drove like about an hour out and then stopped to get gas because it was cheaper. And Mikey Dolan called me and I was like, hey, what's up, dude? And he's like, hey, man, I. Uh, I heard that you're not in Divine Harris anymore and you know you know, I'm sorry for the unfortunate situation with Dino, but you know, that's how it is you know. But, you know, more importantly, I'm sitting with Sonny and we were we were talking about your name. You came up and I want you to know that, you know, in confidentially there's gonna be a snot reunion and we would like to know if you were interested in trying out. And I was like well, yeah, I'm like I'm about to like again. I'm like straight faced, like yeah, totally, dude. Like I'm I'm totally uh, moving to L.A. right now. I'm I just moved to, left San Francisco. I'm moving to Hollywood. He's like, all right, cool, man. Well, I'll call you later this week. I'll let you get settled. And I hung up the phone and I was like in the gas station dancing. And my girl, <laughs> my ex, came out and was like, what the fuck? And I was like, oh, you don't even know, like you know. <clears throat> and so the reason why I was so excited is because snot was one of my favorite fucking bands in the late 90s, early 2000s. And still, like, I still listen to Get Some. Even though I sang in that band, even though, you know what I mean? Like, even through all that, uh, that guy's vocals, man. Lynn Strait was just like, he... There's a piece of him, even in the Divine Heresy record and in Vex, there's a piece of him in everything I do. It's very clear if you listen to anything that I've done. So it was an honor for me to be able to even try out. And so how much... how how long, or what?
1: What did you end up doing with them?
2: Uh, I went to audition for them at the Roxy, and then I got the I got the gig like within the first fucking minute and a half. But they didn't let me know for two weeks. They like kept having me come back, and they're like, "Oh, we don't know." Uh, and uh, my buddy Josh was like, I, he he came to see my auditions, and he would text me in between songs. He was like, "You have to go." He was like, "Bro, you're not going crazy enough. You gotta like lose your shit more." And I was like, D-, like you know what I mean? It was like a drill sergeant. I'm like, I can't go any harder than this, bro. I've been <laughs> running around. I'm like, We're, there's nobody even here. They're like, this kid's fucking nuts. And uh, and finally, Lynn's family came to see me rehearse. And they're the ones who signed off. Yeah. And uh, his mom, Marianne, and his sisters, Julie and Jenny, came and. His mom was like, "It's like it's so he's so much like my son. It's like I had a kid with a black guy. <laughs> it was like it was one of the best things." And uh, I had this picture. I met so when I was a, when I was in Vex as a kid, when I used to cut school and go to shows. Snot was a band that I followed, and my buddy Pete was their weed dealer. So we would go to their shows early and bring weed so we could get free tickets because we were broke. And the, and I got to know Lin, you know, and I oh. will, you know, he 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 always used to say things like. He's like, man, people are gonna tell you you can't do it. He's like, never listen to anyone who tells you no. Don't ever listen to that in anything you do. And like, that's something that affected me. So <clears throat> when I when I joined Snot, it was like a weird, my life had like come into this full circle, um, in a very beautiful way, and in a very sad way simultaneously. Um, my ex fiance, who was pregnant for eight months, had gotten really, really sick, and um, miscarried our baby. And so it was like all this great stuff happening. And then this devastating thing. And, um, I wound up going on, on, uh, you know, I was doing now I was doing in snot and it was like, you know, it was a 10 year reunion. Like we were playing shows. It was sold out. Like we sold out the key club in like, in like a couple like hours. Yeah. And then like there were videos of me up on, on walls and there were posters of the band that I was in all over L.A. and like I finally had been, become like the guys, the rock stars on my wall, but I was so depressed I just wanted to die and I didn't, I wasn't telling anybody about it. And at it.
1: this point, you were still drinking and yeah, and, and doing I was, drugs.
2: I was, and that's what I turned to. I was sedating myself heavily, and um, you know I was, I was going on stage, and I mean to be completely transparent, like my story is that I was taking, uh, I was taking steroids to go on stage to wake up. And then I would do the show sober, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was taking a, a horse steroid called clembuterol, which helps—it's for race horses with asthma.
1: That so so as a fat cutting what, agent. What, so you were so jacked up from like the night before that you would have. Yeah, to take it wasn't something. like for
2: working out. It was like it was like to wake me up, and then I would go hit the stage, and then I'd like play this show, and then as soon as I got off stage, I would get drunk to come down. And then I'd get too drunk and I'd be doing stupid shit. So then I'd have to do coke or meth to come back up. Yeah. And then I'd have to take pills to go to sleep. And uh, it was bad, man. It was really bad. And uh, I, I was in that band for over a year and we were touring and doing all this stuff. And uh, Sonny actually, like, you know, I, I got to a place where I had, like spent all my money. I was an asshole. Like, I'd pushed everyone out of my life. And, um, and I wound up homeless, and Sonny and his ex-wife Colleen took me in, and uh, and they got me help.
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, and with Sonny was sober at this time,
2: yeah, Sonny's been sober consecutively for I think almost sixteen years now. Yeah, 14, 14, 15 years.
1: But, or but even so, but even someone like him who's sober and seeing you kind of in your situation, and it, obviously he's in the band with you. Yeah. At no point did he ever like pull you aside and say, "Listen, bro." You need to get your shit together, or aim, I can help. Or no, I
2: think what I think the thing that Sonny's was like a—he's not a preachy guy—and I think that he intuitively knew that somebody who was, like trying to tell me what to do—that's yeah. not his when, way. Where? He just lived an example, and I wanted what he had. He had—he had two or three dogs. He had a house and two cars and a wife, and everybody loved him. And then, and I was like homeless and drunk, and like people only loved me when I was on stage. You know, there was even a point in time where I was so wrapped up in my disease that I pushed you out of my life.
1: Yeah, we had know? we had we we had an issue, yeah, you know, where um where you were you were jacked up in a way at uh at, at NAM and and yeah, I, I think I, got, I was
2: fighting somebody or something. And, well
1: you were trying to fight somebody and I was trying to get you not to fight somebody and then I you know, and, and it was probably the first time I felt uncomfortable around you in yeah. that in that in that way and we ended up talking about it a few months later. Yeah. And uh and I I don't remember if you had had gotten sober by, by by that time, but it was you know it was definitely maybe a little bit of a wake up call for for yeah. all of us, you know.
2: Yeah, it definitely had gotten to that place, and you know, you know, and, and since then, you know, my life has kind of been dedicated to um, service work and helping people, you know, um, deal with these kind of things. It's even it's even become my job, yeah, my source of employment. Just the
1: the kind of sober lifestyle and and that community
2: yeah yeah and so you know it's it's been uh it's been a miracle you know my life as a result of 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 changing some things about myself um you know and it wasn't easy it was slow so you got your 10 years no i'm i turn eight uh in may so i'm seven and a half years i'm like seven years uh, yeah seven and a half years.
1: congratulations sir thanks no problem. Sure. Listen, man, I, I you know you've definitely been inspiring to me. You know, as far as you're, just I think you you have that thing that the, a, a second level of energy and kind of motivation in terms of like you know I said just before about Lynch Straight saying, yeah. don't say no. Like you're like, hey, if I want to do something, I'm going to do it. Like yeah. you don't you don't have that. You know, and even even sometimes maybe to to the others around you dismay. You know, where you're kind of like, I'm going to do this, and it really doesn't matter. Where your yeah. sense of focus and just uh, productivity, I guess. You know, where you're like, all right, I got to get this shit done. I got to do this. Boom, boom, boom. And it's no, it's definitely. You know, sometimes I'm like, even when I'm working hard, I'm like, man, I can't keep up with this motherfucker. <laughs>
2: well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. I don't. I don't even notice it. I I think that the thing that, that um my life is like is i'm never doing enough yeah you know what i mean and i also have like i've had a near-death experience you know so do
1: you want to talk about that at all or sure. is that is that something you think yeah i mean would, you would be... you
2: were a part of that too and and
1: uh i mean you want to i don't know how to segue into that well i i guess i guess kind of le- le- leading up to that so so do your your sobriety let's let's maybe like get get back around to that but your sobriety directly lead, lead you to leaving snot
2: um i think snot kind of uh dissipated because of internal there was the the option to do a second record it was divided on whether the band should just be you know hold the tradition and play shows with the songs that lynn wrote with the band and let it be that or we had recorded a couple songs to help hype
1: up the tour, which are really good. Did did because uh, it was w- woulda coulda shoulda
2: shoulda coulda woulda shoulda coulda and, woulda uh, the band plays on. Yeah, yeah.
1: I don't think I I because I, I remember you sent me that that one. I thought that was really awesome. Did that stuff ever get released?
2: Uh, it it's not not formally on iTunes or anything like that. I don't. I I think coulda shoulda woulda landed in a film that uh, uh one of Sonny's buddies is uh as a, a film director and it landed there but I think that's it
1: so that situation dissipates and you're getting sober and then right at that time you moved to New York or what what no I got I was
2: when I when I got sober I stayed in the west side of LA I was in Venice um, and I went to a treatment facility called uh, it was called wow God it's been so long Genesis House mm-hmm. and it's in Cheviot Hills and uh, and it was a rehab for musicians. And I had no money, and so I, I, I got a grant from Music Cares Foundation, and they put me into, into this rehabilitation center and sober living. Uh, and then I got a job, and I, I got a guy who sponsored me, who was like basically kind of like a, a therapist, for a free therapist, that helped me deal with all my issues. And um, after I got a year sober, I moved back to New York. So that was my goal. Uh, so i i wasn't really i had been living in california for about five years and just not really a part of my family's life so i wound up moving back and then you know you you had i think we were gonna work
1: we were gonna work on music together yeah and then we started working at a nightclub you know But well, you got so so this is around 2010 and it's kind yeah. of when got things were almost like winding down a bit i guess with with god forbid where my brother left the band. And we yeah, were going yeah. through, through some issues. Yeah. It was it was you know it was just a, a weird time and, and God forbid wasn't gonna be touring a lot at least in that kind of near future. So Tommy helped me out, got me a job at Santos Party House. Oh yeah, uh, which was a, actually and at the time I was I was still working I was working at Duff's in Brooklyn. So it was kind of in a way like my entry point into New York as just, you know, 30 years old. like that. scene, yeah. Yeah, just kind of like getting involved in the New York rock scene. and good me- times, man. Yo, that was a lot of fun. We
2: were hanging out, hanging out with Dave Delzio and Chris Santos on the Lower East Side, running around, running up on chicks. Just like, dude, it was... <laughs> it, was
1: it was fun. Yo, know, that's He's great. That's Omari, Santos' gig. All those dudes. So if people don't know Santos Party House is a club with a Soho yeah It's one of the owners is Andrew WK <laughs> yeah and the thing that was awesome about this club is they would have all kinds of shows so it would be a DJ one night doing techno then there would be a hip hop show then there would be like Reggae you know, you know co- Converge and Trash Talk would play it was like
2: and then who's well, Jesse Leach's other band uh, Empire uh, Shall Fall played too there did they? yeah I saw them there. Uh, I saw them play downstairs. It was great.
1: Yeah, that was a that was definitely a good time. And then, so right around that time, then me and Tommy started a project, which ultimately a lot of the music from that ended up being in the Vegas in, nerve. In, in Vegas nerve. So I kind of want to talk about that that period because I think it's something that where most people don't really know about it because it was a, kind yeah, of yeah. a failure to launch situation, but it also kind of bleeds into your next project. So what happened was so. We, Essentially, I was doing God Forbid, but then me, I always wanted to do something with Tommy. And we were, you know, Once my versa. idea was to do something a little more like on the rock side of things. And we kind of had different people involved, but we could never really lock down members. And then we eventually ended up in, in the summer of 2011 going to Florida to jam with uh, Jeff Fab, who is the drummer, yeah. in in this moment, and now he's in Black Label Society, and uh, Al Levy from Doth, yeah. and Andrew from Mutiny Within. Well, Andrew. Well, wasn't he there. wasn't there first, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it was just it was just the four of us. So we kind of like this super group situation, but it ended up like we worked on stuff. I'd say for maybe like two two and a half three weeks yeah. down there, and it kind of ended up everything went to shit. So <laughs> let me back the train up. First of all, at the time that.
2: At the time that I was in Florida working on this record, I was in the witness protection program because I was the key witness in an attempted homicide case in the Brooklyn district in New York City. <clears throat> so, moving back to what, to that whole situation in two, in September of 2010, you know, it was it, it was mildly publicized. I don't know; people know. I'm always surprised. Some people know everything about it. Some people know nothing about it. Um, a family member of mine had burglarized uh, our apartment and uh, he was he was high and he beat me to, beat me up with a crowbar. He almost killed me. So basically like I suffered a skull fracture, my left arm bro- was broken, um, my spleen ruptured during the attack. Um, and I like fought this dude with a crowbar and then eventually like got to my neighbor's door. And I got rushed to the hospital and it was like all, it was like, it was crazy. It was all this drama. So, so pretty much for like, I was hospitalized for months and uh, for like, wait, how was it? No, it was like six weeks. I think I was laid up and then uh, obviously like I didn't die, Um, but I wound up pressing charges against this guy. Uh, And then he, you know, some, he's affiliated with some organized crime people and they, the district attorney basically had called me into his office and played me tapes of him hiring somebody. They they had a phone tap on him and he hired somebody to kill me. So I had to go into witness protection program after all This was
1: after the attack.
2: This was after the attack. Yeah. Because uh, for the transgression of testifying. This episode is brought to you by Shopify, whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer.
0: Greetings from Evergreen
2: Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show.
1: Out there. Hi, I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McLean. We want to tell you about our podcast, None But the Brave, which is dedicated to taking a deep dive into the work of Bruce Springsteen. We're currently in our fifth season. Our latest episodes focus heavily on Bruce's 2024
2: tour and have featured such guests as Anthony Castrovince from MLB Network
1: and Barstool's Kirk Minahan. We're also covering the 40th anniversary of Bruce's biggest record, Born in the USA. And as part of that, coming up this week, Uprock's cultural critic Stephen Hayden returns to the show for a fascinating hour-long conversation about his new book. There was nothing you could do. Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA and The End of the Heartland. To listen, you
2: can go to our website, Mbtbpodcast.com, or subscribe on your preferred podcasting
1: platform.
0: We hope to see you further on Up the Road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you.
1: Right.
2: Oh yeah, yeah 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 so you don't you, you don't fucking you never rat to the cops <laughs> and I was like fuck you nigga like yeah I,
0: <laughs> I was <laughs> like somebody's got to go bro <laughs> <laughs>
2: Tell
0: I was fan. talking about you
2: your mama <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it was like that's what it was you know what I mean I think that uh uh you know I'm not willing to die for stupid thug bullshit you know what I mean like yeah. I'm not like oh I'm going to get a gun and like now we're going to go at it like I'm like I'm a fucking adult So anyway that happened um
1: and then we went down to Florida. Well, yeah,
2: even before... Well, actually, before that, I, I recovered from surgery. This is a cool... I like... This is a cool note. So my friend Mia Tyler uh, and Brooke McLean, they found out what had happened, and I was staying with my friend Brooke for a little while, and then when I had to leave New York because there was somebody looking for me, um, Mia came and got me from the hospital and drove me out to Massachusetts, and her dad is, is Stephen Tyler from Aerosmith, and her, her and her dad let me live at his house, you know, in like a secure property with cameras. And like, I was able to like literally recover from my, from like having staples in my chest and a broken arm and all this stuff, like in peace and comfort and quiet, which is like, you know, I'll forever be in debt to those two women, you know, uh, that's like one of the kindest things anyone's ever done for me. Uh, so thank you guys.
1: Yes, I'm a big fan of, of, of Brooke and, and Mia. Yeah, they're awesome. Brooke actually is a person for people know I, I worked at the NBA for uh, That's a minute, right. and uh, Brooke hired me over there. She's the best. Love love Brooke. Yes. Anyway.
2: And then and then I didn't have health insurance and I didn't have I couldn't work. I was on disability and I'd only been working at my job for, for a couple of months because I had just moved from LA. So I wasn't getting I had no money to live. And Doc and Brooke, and the guys in mutiny within uh, put together a benefit concert at Santos party house at my where I used to work. And uh, they raised, I think, like five or six thousand dollars for me to be able to like pay off my ambulance transportation bills and to like live and pay my rent. you know, so that was another miracle, you know what I mean? like this those are like when you you know what I mean, those are like key, those are more memorable and more notable. Moments of my life of them like when I was fucking things up rather than I rather focus on the times that I showed up for other people and people showed up for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because, you know, it's like I, this one guy once told me, he's like, even, no matter how bad your childhood was, it, you could you could anyone could have a happy childhood if you only think about the moments that were good.
1: Yeah. It's, it's funny. That's kind of how I I think about it. Like I, like for example, some people are like, "Oh man, I grew up. My my parents got like they 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 count like their parents' divorce as some like awful thing." It's like I'm a like, tally. Yeah. I'm like, what? I don't like. My parents like, were never even together. Like this happened. Yeah, yeah. Or 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 it's just like you kind of count these moments as yeah. This is why I'm the way I am now is because yes. X Y Z happened in in the past. But I don't like. In hindsight, i said say, oh, yeah, I guess we were poor. But yeah. at the time, I was just like, oh, I'm just a kid. And, yeah, you didn't you know, even know. And then after the fact, yeah, yeah, I guess there were a few things that weren't ideal. But me, I think about all the advantages I did have and how present my grandparents were and and how even though my dad worked a lot, when I did hang with my dad, it was, you know, he was teaching me about yeah. jazz. And he was saying, hey, here's, the, you know, here's this documentary about World War II. And, like, you know, you so it you really... You
2: choose what, yeah, you choose to... You, you we, we whatever you whatever you focus on grows. You know, it's yeah. like there's a book called The Power of Now that I like. I really love. Oh, by I know Tolle yeah. Oh, sure. I, I even I, have I, it on tape and yo, I that's sleep I, and that's I listen, I to, listen
1: to, it. to it. Man, yeah, yeah. That's that dude's voice. Is that his voice on the on the audio tape? Was yeah, that that's
2: else? him. Yeah, yeah. Have you see live speaker? He does like uh, he does Q and As and he does live speeches. You don't need heroin. Just, you just need Tolle's like, voice. ever Every day
1: you wake up.
2: You are the most important person in the universe. That is how important you are. And you're like, yo, know this dude. So... <laughs> I'm like, who needs weed? They going listen to this dude. <laughs> but it's true. It's he talks a lot about socially defined identities based on the past, based on special abilities, based on you know all that stuff. And uh, I think like with musicians and creative people and like. The ego comes into it, you know. It's like kind of what we were talking about before, how like the control factor, because ego is primarily fuel run on fear. And I'm afraid I'm not going to get the thing that I want, or someone's going to take what I have. But when you've been in this in a situation where your life is about to get taken, you're not really afraid. Everything is in slow motion. It's almost like the movies. Like that was my experience. I was never afraid. I just was reacting according to the situation. You know, and so um, it's almost like I look at that situation and like, um, you know, the guy that did this to me, he set me free from a lot of things. Yeah. You know, there are some issues that come up as a result of having gone through that experience with the intimate person who I grew up with and was in my family. But in a lot of ways, I'm free. Like how you're saying, like, this is just what I'm doing. And so that's it.
1: it's because of because of that now. You're not going to be afraid of certain things. You feel like you've already been through the, the, yeah. the, the kind of the, the, you know, the ringer.
2: Well, I can use it. It's not that I don't have human reactions and I don't get afraid of things. Uh, maybe even more so as a result of being di- diagnosed with PTSD, but having these extreme circumstances have forced me to hire therapists and work through these issues. And when I'm when I'm doing what I need to do, I, I can look at them objectively and right size them. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not the end of the world because I've seen the end of the world and this is not it. yeah, and I know that I'll be okay.
1: It gives you gives you a, a, a great perspective on just the how bad shit can
2: really get. yeah, and it's a choice because some people go through the can go through the exact same situation and then choose. some people have bad things happen to them and then they use that as an excuse for the way that they behave. Yeah. And when I was a young man, that's what I did. I was a kid and emotionally I was not being responsible, uh, and taking responsibility for the things that happened, and not taking the past and bringing in the present, yeah.
1: you know? So, anyway. so, um, I don't want to take up too much of of your time. So I'm going to, I'm going to condense a, a, a few, a few things. So, so we were working on a situation that ended up not really working out well. And then that kind of devolved or say maybe devolved isn't the right word. I apologize. That's, Freudian slip, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that situation kind of ended up in the resurrection of the Vexed Band. Yes. So well, we just took that
2: name out of lack of creativity. Yeah. Uh, and so what wound up happening is is that um, so we
1: were working in in,
2: we Florida, were in Florida, then on,
1: I left, and then and Jeff then, left,
2: and Jeff left, and then well, no, 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 you left, and then we all went to Jersey, and then Jeff got Jeff. Got booked in a band
1: with a guy from American Idol, uh, James Durbin. James Durbin. You're 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 getting the time time frames mixed up. Am I? He went back on. He just w- had a tour with uh, in this moment because I went to the oh, show. yeah, It yeah, was yeah, the yeah, All Stars yeah, yeah, yeah. tour. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went with Emir. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Okay, all right. So I'm mixing up the time spot. But anyway, we we wound up moving to Jersey, and we were we went to this place, Treehouse Recording Studio. That this guy, Wes, uh, we got hooked up with through Avange who used to work at 5B. And then we started writing the Vexed record. And then I saw Angel Vivaldi play a benefit concert for non-bullying. And I was like, we got to get that guy in the band. And uh, Bill... Um, I actually went to that show because Bill Four from Mutiny Within is the drummer of Angel Vivaldi, yeah. and AJ was like, "You got to check out my boy play drums; he could be our drummer." And I was like, "We don't need to take this whole band." <laughs> and then we did, you know, we wrote like
1: we, we wrote like eight songs,
2: and then we played a bunch
1: of shows, and then you know, uh, so 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 for people haven't don't know about this project, so this the the vex stuff and this actually i just checked it's it's on spotify and there's yeah I think some yeah. Of the, some of the videos are on yeah we on, did a
2: four song ep yeah. we released called impermanence yeah. and we shot a video called crush which we shot to co- 2013 or 12
1: Yeah, but it's it's more I'd say on the melodic rock side of things. It was probably the lightest I guess project you had you had done. If um,
2: I yeah, I want if I was gonna, it's like you know which
1: I did. I I was a a, stone
2: sour kind of like it's not
1: that it doesn't sound
2: like that, but for me, what you expect from me, I was like I don't want to scream. I want to just do a whole thing with his only singing and see if I can do it, and it helped me grow. So
1: it was cool. So. So that project, kind of, what what ended up happening with that, where you ended up coming back to uh, L.A.
2: Uh, let's see what happened. I mean, most of it's it's uh, this still this was still an ongoing process with um, the case because uh, it took it took over a year for the FBI to find the guy who assaulted me. Yeah, and then a, 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 and then I got a phone call that the guy who was hired to kill me was murdered. And they found his body.
1: Yeah, I wonder what happened to that, Tommy. I have nothing to do with that. <laughs> I'm just joking, man. For the record. <laughs> anyway. Well, hey, it was a nice coincidence, eh? Hey. He hey. Fe- yeah, he fell on his trip. His name was Bobby Lupo. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: he got whacked. <laughs> That's really not funny. It's not funny at all. It's not funny. That guy so, was, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was but, a killer, but, but you know, he was probably happen nice happen guy. bad
2: people. And then uh the so then the the FBI caught the dude and then so I went from um you know we were we were showcasing this band and then uh David Draymond had uh he was like very hands on in the in the process of of Vex doing what it was doing and he really guided me through uh so there was a few things that happened. There was like we we set up a showcase and we were showcasing for David because he had a, he had released a band called The Art of Dying, not the Gojira record. It was a band called The Art of Dying, Art of Dying, uh, on on a label that him and Dan were had put together off Warner Brothers, and then we were hoping to be on that label. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Howard left Killswitch, and I was like, bring, 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 and I was like, nigga y'all need a nigga to sing right here <laughs> and uh so I like so I was like all over that gig like I had hit up Adam D and I was like it, you know I even had I was managing a bar at the time in the lower east side and Jesse even had come by the bar and I was, and I didn't know that he was gonna try out like he seemed like he didn't want to
1: I still think that's amazing that he actually retried out for the band
2: yeah I don't think he needed to try I think he got I think they were after him and they convinced him
1: well I'm just saying but it's but it's he Pretty crazy. I, I
2: asked his I asked respectfully if it was okay if I tried out not knowing that it was probably already a done deal and he was like yeah bro just good luck and I was like all right cool and uh and uh yeah it was like a there was a so then I I did an interview on some webzine that I was going to try out and it went viral and then there was like a 15,000 person petition to get the dude from Divine Heresy to be the new singer of Killswitch Engage and Killswitch's management got really mad because they thought I started it (laughs) and I was like I didn't do anything I was like all I did was answer these questions and and it just caused them like a whole hell of a fucking uh, uh, it was all mucky so anyway the band wound up we played some shows I, I had to go to court and deal with these court proceedings that took a bulk of my time I testified against this guy he got convicted for 17 years for attempted murder uh and then i when it was all over like i had I, like i'm one of those people who i just keep doing stuff and don't deal with my feelings and then all my feelings hit me and i slipped into a really bad depression um and again i didn't have drugs or alcohol to fucking deal with it and uh so the band like in my in my depression like everything in my life kind of dwindled away you know and uh I wound up um, getting back into service work, and I had a kid call me. You know, uh, I mean, like to get really into it, I I attempted suicide. Really? When was this? This was Um,
1: 2013 or 12 or something. I was probably 13.
2: I didn't know this. Yeah, or a little. I I would have to look at the dates, but anyway, I was uh, I. I testified against this guy. I mean, look, he's my twin brother. That's who that's that's why this was so hard. And I thought that when he went to jail that I'd finally get to be able to breathe again. And then all I just felt like the worst piece of shit. Mm -hmm. And then I the girlfriend I was living with, she was sober and got drunk and then kicked me out of our place. And I got fired from my job. Uh, And I just lost everything. And so I slipped, slipped into this deep depression and I was going to jump in front of the J train in the Brooklyn Junction where the L train and the J meet because it's an above ground platform. Like I was like, if I if if the fucking train doesn't kill me, I'll die from the fall. Like I was really dark and I stopped going to uh, support groups and I stopped going to therapy and the train. uh, So the train was coming like I could see it because it was it was above ground and it was daytime and and, uh, it was like five o'clock in the afternoon. And it was I was like, this is it. And I like moved back so there was no people around. And, I, and uh, my phone started ringing. And I didn't. know I looked at my phone. I didn't know the number. And I answered it. I don't even know why I answered it. And this kid was on the line. And like I could tell he had been crying. And uh, he was like, "Is this Tommy?" And I was like, "Yeah, dude." I'm like, "I'm in the middle of something right now. <laughs> I'm kind of busy." And uh, he was like,
1: You're "Fucking up my suicide."
2: Yeah. And he was like, "I need. I need your help." And uh, he was this, this young dude that was also in a band. Um, and uh, he had been struggling with a heroin addiction. And he had hit rock bottom. And I think he had gotten kicked out of his home. And uh, he needed somebody to, like, help him get sober. So I met, I got on the train and I met him. And uh, we met a couple times a week for, like, months. And uh, he's still sober today. And his life is completely amazing. You know what I mean? In my life, like he, I told, I wound up telling him a couple years later. But I was like, "Bro, you like by the by having the courage to ask somebody for help, you wound up saving my life. It wasn't the other way around,
1: you know." And it's amazing how that how that works out sometimes. How like I had a situation when I, I moved out to L.A. Obviously, not as bad as your situation when dealing mm-hmm. with uh, something when you're thinking about taking your own life. But where my car broke down. Oh yeah, but um, all that shit happened once. Yeah, my I was driving cross country and my transmission broke, and all these friends and family all chipped in to help me. And in me, I felt bad asking yeah. for help, but I noticed it strengthened every single relationship. Like yeah. in a way, when you help someone, it it makes you. I don't know. There's something. There's something about that 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 transfers a connective bond even you know mm-hmm. cuz i think there it there's there is that thing of the balance between give and take yeah between people but there is obviously if someone's taking advantage of you yeah, but when yeah. people truly care about you and you ask for help that well, it's in a way well, you even
2: when it's a stranger i mean random kindness is like you know someone told me that god is in between the spaces of random acts of kindness to strangers Because you don't have to necessarily know someone to be able to help them. You know, and like you've, you know, we've gone and fed the homeless together. And like, you know, that lasts me like two weeks. People go and they take drugs and they go to the, you know, some people have mental issues and they genuinely need psychological medication. But for me, I feel like I qualify as one of those people. But however... I don't take that. I don't take drugs and I, I have to do certain things like I have to eat right and I have to be healthy. Most importantly to f- like on a spiritual level, I got to fucking do something for another human being. Yeah. Do you know what I mean?
1: It's part of your therapy.
2: Well, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an, a therapy of action, not just words. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, just do it. It's like Nike's. That's the greatest slogan. It's like, you don't have to want to do it. You don't have to like doing
1: it. You just have to do it. And if you want to have good self-esteem, you gotta do esteemable acts. So do you 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 feel like when you were at that low point, it's because you were not in service enough? I wasn't doing any service and I also had an expectation.
2: I had an expectation that I would be that then I would be okay. Mm-hmm. So like that old, you know, that's an old thinking for me. Just like when I was in a when I was desperate as a kid, to desperate to get out of the neighborhood that I was in and desperate to not be living in poverty anymore and desperate to get away from my alcoholic family, that once I was a rock star, then I'd be okay. And then I became a rock star. And guess what? Not okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? No outside thing is going to fix what's broken in me. The yeah. only thing that will fix the brokenness in me is by me going and fixing the brokenness in someone else. Yeah. And that's the way it works.
1: So after this this period of things going really really rough, and you kind of changing, having another kind of pivotal point of getting more involved in, in service and, and helping other, other people, um, eventually you end up coming back to coming back to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Correct. Why did you end up going back to LA?
2: Well, I went on the Mayhem Festival.
1: Um, the,
2: what was that? 2013? Was it? Oh.
1: 2012? I don't know. This is I your life, remember. man. This is your life story. I don't, I don't know.
2: know. It was like Machine Head and Five Finger and Amir and Butcher Babies. It's actually where I met Henry and Heidi in catering. Um,
1: From Butcher Babies?
2: Yeah. Uh, who I later wound up becoming my roommates like last year. The fucking best roommates I've ever had. So rad. Uh, but so anyway, I went on that tour. Uh, and I was sober companioning. So I was hanging out, and nobody knew why I was there. But I was actually there helping uh, helping a, a client uh, stay sober. And then when I got to when the tour ended in Texas, I was planning on going to LA for I don't know. Like I was just like I needed a, like a break from New York. Yeah. And uh, I came to LA and just kind of like got reacquainted with my friends and family out here, and then. I met this dude Aaron, and we decided to start a nonprofit organization together. And I just never went home. Yeah. And so he and I co-founded SFG12, which is uh, a nonprofit organization. It's a 501c3. We we ran it for about a year. It's, it's <sighs> doing a nonprofit is like a, is a, a full time job. It's like a, it's a lot of work, and um, we did it as long as we could. We did some benefit concerts. Basically, um, SFG 12 is uh, we raise funds through benefit concerts and like raffling things off to buy beds and sober livings mm-hmm. for musicians who can't afford rehab. Or not just musicians, artists too and photographers and people who are creative. Not
1: photographers. They can't, they can't come. I yeah. I don't like that. No. It's okay. not a real. I'm sorry, guys. That's not
2: a real thing? No. You mean so if my dad was rich taking and he bought pictures, me a really, really nice camera that I couldn't possibly take a bad picture with that I pictures. wouldn't be a real photographer? <laughs> <laughs> what, if I, what if I bought a million Instagram followers and then used it as leverage to take pictures of hot, naked chicks and creep All right, on you them?
1: Can, you can you can come. All right. All right. Photographers, you're cool. You're cool. No. Right. Yo, <laughs> photographers' <laughs> lives matter. <laughs> nah.
0: <laughs>
1: Yo, just, big up. Just kidding. Just big up to me, Steven Seelman.
2: Big up to Steven. Big up to fucking Stradi. Big up to everyone who's gonna be mad they were talking shit. <laughs> Scott. That's right. They're like, man, fuck you two guys. Shit. So,
1: listen, I'm trying to tell jokes here and they just they you know, they got the they became the fall guy. That's okay. So so that organization ended up um. Yeah, it's just not kind, working out. Well, it's
2: still in existence, um, and it's still registered with the government. Uh it's just it's inactive. Yeah. So it's something that it takes so much time and so much work and so much energy with without having a proper... Um, staff. There's no way that two guys could run something like that. Yeah. Um, like for instance, Rock to Recovery came out shortly after we did, and that's West Gear, uh, X Head P, X and, and Sunny, X Snot, X Seven Dust. But they have an entire team of people. You know what I mean? And they started small, but as their company grew, they do music therapy and, and rehabilitation centers. They also work with Wounded Warriors Foundation. Doing music therapy with guys with PTSD, so it's not just drugs and alcohol; it's like it's stress and and trauma. Um, but they have their company has been built into this into a, a legit, fully staffed company.
1: So one one thing that really interests me is so now at this point, this almost brings us up to pretty much present present day. Pr- present day. Yeah. And now you're you know you're you're in your thirties yeah. and really since snot. At mm-hmm. this point, you haven't had like a big thing that has penetrated into where you're touring full time. you yes. kind of, kind of done that. So in, in a way, but at the same time, you've been w- doing these little bands that are have you know having a little bit of you know. Yeah, it's, I stay you, you creative. Record, you, you record something, but it doesn't really get to that to that point. And you know, were you getting frustrated at this point? Maybe thinking, hey, maybe music isn't for me. Uh, maybe I should do something else around this time.
2: I had felt like that before the Vex thing, right? I was like going to, you know, when all that drama was going on, I was like, I'm not doing music anymore. And when you guys threw the benefit concert for me, David Draymond from Disturbed donated to my benefit. Yeah. And so when Music as a Weapon Tour came out in New York, came to New York, my mother had written him a thank you card. And I went to the show and brought him a thank you card. Mm-hmm. And hung out, and you know, it's was like, <clears throat> I love that guy, man. He, you know, he he has no, I really he has no reason to have been uh, such like a big brother guy to me. He just, he, I don't know why he likes me. You know what I mean? Like he's he a, 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 a cool guy, and me. he's
1: I think he's often misunderstood by yeah, the, yeah. by the uh,
2: he's misunderstood it. by people in the industry and people in the media. It's just you know, it's just it's just I, I call it haterism. You know, it's just like a lot of people uh you know they they look it's it's hard for if you're petty, it's hard to see somebody having everything that you wish you had and be cool about it yeah, you know unless you adhere to a, to the psychology of asking for help. so it's like he's a guy who I'm like, I want to be able to be like you. how do I do this? you know I I'll ask Chino Moreno, hey man, uh I want to be like you, how do I do this? you know that's only I, re- I don't
1: know what the fuck I'm doing. By the way, David, if you want to get on the pod? You're more than welcome. Would love to have you. That's right. He uh, he's
2: not an X man because every yo, everything he, he touched turns to gold.
1: Device is active. That's true, that's true. Technically, okay, okay. But you know what though? I don't care. On a technicality, if you a, if you a real motherfucker out there, I'm gonna get you on the show. That's true. That's I don't true. care. I'll break the rule. I'll break the rule.
2: So anyway, I went to bring a card to him, and then in this moment, asked me to go on tour with them and sing. And they had this single out called "The Promise," featuring Adrian Patrick from uh, Otherwise. Otherwise. And I think there was a tour conflict. They were out on. They had another tour. They so he couldn't be there, and it was very important. And you know, what I'm saying I'm brown. I was bald at that time, so they were like, "We got a substitute Adrian." And they were like, "Can you come on tour?" And like, you know, I'm known in this moment forever. And uh, I love Jeff Fab, and I love Chris, and they're the best. Yeah, and Maria, and, and I was like, "When do I leave?" They're like, "Tonight." And I was like, "Okay." Well, you, but that's so the I left best job ever,
1: is to go on tour and do one song. One song.
2: <laughs> Most pussy I've ever
1: gotten in my entire life. It's true. Well, you got it? Like, you got to keep it? You yeah. still You still holding on to them pussies? Oh,
2: dude, you got to see my basement. I got a cellar in there. They were yeah. getting kind of old. Is it smelly? <laughs> They're dead. <laughs> I keep them in formaldehyde jars.
1: It's like a wine cellar with hair on it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus.
2: So that was the time when I... So at this time... Uh so <laughs> SF, so the nonprofit organization was like inactive and I went to NAM and I ran into Tim Young and we were we were fucking kicking it and uh because of SFG twelve Snot got back together.
1: Yeah, so you were doing so some gigs Snot did
2: Snot did a reunion show at the whiskey for SFG twelve and we raised twenty seven thousand dollars in ticket sales and prizes. That went directly to helping people go to rehab. So, uh, so then after that, there was a renewed interest. Mikey had come home from Japan, so we booked a bunch of snot shows and we played a bunch of gigs, right? And then they were looking to, to book a tour. And you know, I'm not really involved in the business aspect. I just show up and sing. Um, and then uh, me and Tim had had ran into each other at Nam, and then we had continued this conversation about doing a band together. And so uh, I was intrad- introduced to Bill Hudson through Dave Aguilera, who was managing Butcher Babies at the time. And he was working with Snot. And uh, me and Bill hit it off. And me and Bill and Tim wrote, wrote a couple songs and recorded them.
1: And then. Uh, and that was right around the time I moved to LA. So I was kind of hearing. Yeah. A lot of this stuff as it was coming together being the early Westfield Massacre You material. even played
2: bass, tra- bass on some of the tracks. Yeah, I played
1: bass on two songs. guitar solo. I did two guitar solos on the, the album. Yeah. You know, Pretty much, I am Westfield Massacre. Yeah, I think that's th- really the, the the moral to this story. Not true. Waiting, for, totally. my, waiting for my check, man. Shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Brother, trying to get some paper. Call, call, call Urban <laughs> Yeti. We're all waiting. Urban Yeti, with my check? Anyway, We're so... We're all waiting. So, now that was kind of the first version of the band, yes, um,
2: and then we went out. We did a, like a we did a, a couple of shows. We did like a week run in a van and did like Vegas, Palm Desert, L.A., uh, a couple other places, uh, Arizona, and then we showcased. And you filled in on bass, yeah. And we showcased at the Viper Room and uh, Century Media, another Century, Nuclear Blast. Who else came out to that? I don't know. Uh, a bunch of... A, it was a bunch of labels. Um, David uh, David had kind of set it up. And then we played the show. We went on late. It was like everything was going wrong. Everyone was kind of like... It was just... It wasn't a good show. For me, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Tim was pissed off because of the drum kid. And like... Bill was pissed off because Tim was... Anyway, the vibe was like off. We got turned down. And... Um, but nobody wanted to pick us up, and then the guys in the band, you know, we had, like, written, like, five songs or six songs or something, and uh, the guys in the band were like, Bill got signed to Trans-Siberian Orchestra the, a month later, and Tim quit Morbid Angel,
1: and... He just really wasn't doing music, wasn't he feeling did, music at all.
2: Yeah, Tim got involved in uh, in... Like he's always been a, a mechanic and a gearhead and he he's really into restoring classic muscle cars and he transferred it into like a business where he's making you know he's doing well. You know? So he uh he, he quit music to focus on that and I was like, Alright, cool. You know, and I had like I had this record and I had well I didn't have a record, I had half of a record and I didn't know what I was gonna do and I it's like I said, I just like the way that I am, I'm like, well, I'm gonna finish it because I started it. And uh I just started talking to different people. You wrote a couple songs for it. I didn't um, write any songs for it. Didn't you write songs? No. Oh, that was for
1: after that. When well, we were going I was gonna oh, submit yeah, yeah, a song yeah, yeah. and then <laughs> end up not and then I ended up using that song actually for, yeah. for Jamie Jostin's <laughs> solo record. Yeah,
2: but now you have two singers better than me singing on. I mean, you got Jamie and and Hojo, so that's that's
1: gonna be. Is that classified information? Uh it's not really classified. It's just it's not out yet. So we'll 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 see. So we'll that, see. Everyone must die Hear a full song from the die. front to the
0: back, side to side.
2: We shall see. That's right. Anyway, that's hate, our, hate switch. <laughs> yeah, hate switch engage. <laughs> um,
1: hate no, hate hate switch and breed. <laughs> yeah, amazing.
2: Uh Yeah. So anyway, so I. So I met uh, I met Chris Norris years ago, and I collaborated with Chris on a couple of songs, and then I refurbished a song that I wrote with uh, AJ from Mutiny Within. Mm-hmm. And Philip was the guy who you guys just... who uh, Philip Naslin is a Swedish producer. I wanted to do a Nirvana cover after seeing Soaked in Bleach, and we, we did that, and then...
1: Um, so you end up getting pretty much all new members.
2: Yeah, yeah. Band. And then I and then through Ultimate Jam Night, um, when it was at the... Uh, where, where was it? Lucky Strike. Uh, Lucky Strike Live. We were jamming, and uh, you introduced me to Stephen Brewer. And uh, I asked him if he wanted to play guitar in my band. And then uh, I met Dio through Bill Hudson. And Dio did a video of him playing Darkness Divides and Respect Resistance. And I was like, holy shit. He did a live video, and I was like... This is the only guy that's going to be able to play Tim shit, uh, and he he proved to be
1: deal good. He
2: good. He, that boy good. And then uh, Eric Tysinger came through. We had jammed. A, we played a Slipknot song with Eric at Ultimate Jam Night, and I knew Eric from that Mayhem Festival because he was in. Uh, he's an original member of Thrown Into Exile. I know him from Otep. Uh, and then the last piece was was basically Ira Black and. Um, I jammed with Ira, and I've known Ira forever. Actually, Ira was... Me and Ira have no, been talking about working on stuff since since before I was in Snot, or like right when I, I just joined Snot, and uh, it, it never happened. And I saw him on that... Attica 7 was on that Mayhem Festival. And,
1: and then didn't they play... They played with Westfield with the old lineup, Attica 7. Yes, did we did a
2: show with them with the old lineup, yeah. So it just kind of worked
1: out, and then we were a band. And then... Uh, so now we bring it to what's going on now. You guys are doing a, a Kickstarter campaign to...
2: Well, we did the debut album and we released it on Urban Yeti Records, uh, which kind of saved the band, you know what I mean? Like I wasn't really... I finished the record and I had spent I spent like over $10,000 on it and then we had shot a music video for Darkness Divides with the original lineup and that cost money and uh, I was just like at a loss and I was like, all right, whatever, at least I finished it. You know, that was my mission plan. And then all these guys came into my life. It was almost like feel the Well, I remember but didn't you <laughs> when it's like, I was if you when build I was, it, they will come. When I was filling in for the band though, you, you almost quit. Yeah, yeah. Because this because it was people weren't into it and I was doing all the work. Yeah. And then I needed to get aligned with the right guys who were hungry for success. Yeah, and all those all and those
1: guys are are were, super motivated and, and Yeah,
2: yeah. And so they were like really hungry and eye on the prize and you know you know, three guys in the band are sober and the other two guys just are regular dudes who work really hard. Yeah, You know, Dio literally dropped his whole life and moved to L.A. from Brazil to play drums. I'd I, I
1: say this. It helps when you have help, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so it's like having like instead of me dragging everybody, it's like having five of me. Yeah. You know, literally right now as we speak, the guys in, in Westfield Massacre, they're all doing stuff for the band right now. Like literally right now. I, I know that for assurance. So we all want the same goals, you know. Um, so, yeah, so we we went on tour with Trivium and Seven Dust. Killed it. We had a great time. We fucking crushed it. They gave us a, a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for a new band on a label that, you know, that nobody ever heard of anymore uh, before we were the first release on that label. Um, and, you know, we, we landed, we got some stuff happening, you know. We landed at number three on iTunes and Metal. We landed at 14 on Billboard Heatseekers. People were taking notice were selling
1: tons of shit, yeah, I know um, you guys had a better debut than other bands on bigger labels, and I had more yeah. push behind them and and that definitely surprised a lot of people because at the time you were still just a regional band, you hadn't even hit the road yet, so Correct. there was there was definitely something connecting there, you know,
2: yeah, I mean, I think that the the songs were good and and um you know we on tour, we spend most of the time hanging out with the fans. Yeah. I don't consider them fans. I just see them as other metalheads. You know what I mean? And uh, it's like building those relationships. It's like, you know, it's like being of service, you know? And people know when it's real. That's the thing. There's a lot of like, a lot of uh, bands, labels are dressing up bands and pushing things out there as they always have. Things get manufactured, but, uh, you know, people get sick of it. How many, there can only be, you know, there's like one kind of band And now there's like 50 of them and there's only so many, you know, it's like, they're like, oh, there's a, there's a demographic for this. We can sell this. So they just keep redoing and redoing and redoing the exact same thing. And then it's not cool anymore. You know what I mean? So I guess whatever people think what we're doing is cool and different. So that's cool. Yeah.
1: I think in, in many ways, it's kind of a bit of a throwback maybe to like the era, like
2: classic traditional American metal.
1: Yeah, Yeah. but that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like a lot of those bands kind of went away. It's like God forbid went away, Mm -hmm. bleeding through went away, shadows fall went on hiatus. Like that kind of style that is maybe because now you have like all these proggy bands, and you have deathcore, and you have you know crazy you know like grind shit like nails, and but there's really not that many just regular kind of American style heavy metal heavy metal bands coming out. So so in a way, you're kind of paying a service to something that might be underrepresented right now i think yeah
2: i mean you know i don't know if that was our intention either you can't really you know we just sound like how we sound it's like we're just a bunch of metalheads you know it's not like we've got to make sure like obviously there are certain things i can sing clean
1: so there's going to be clean singing like there's not but outside of that well we need to stop saying calling it I can sing clean. What do you mean? You mean called singing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, I can sing, period. <laughs> yeah, I am a singer. You know what I'm saying? I'm, yeah. I, I don't think, uh, you know, Rod Stewart's like, yo, man, uh, I'm going to clean sing on this. What do you mean? Sing, motherfucker? Yeah, basically. <laughs> Correct. But, um, so you guys are doing this Kickstarter campaign. Yes. And why did you end up doing that as opposed to, like, you know, trying to get a regular record deal or... Because or... you just said it, Trying yeah I don't try you do I do shit okay I'm not waiting for a fucking handout and right, don't, I don't
2: slattly, play, man. and like yeah yeah I know <laughs> I, I'm not waiting for a handout and the reality is like look it's time for us to make another record we fulfilled our contractual obligation and all the dudes in the band are hungry you know what I mean they're like they're, they've got songs on songs on songs and it's like well what are we gonna do you know? We've already spent so much of our own money. I've spent tens of thousands of dollars of my own money putting into a band. And that's what it takes. And if people complain, then get a fucking job and do the same thing. You know what I mean? It's like, that's what it takes. Um, and so we put ourselves at the mercy of the fans. I honestly had no idea. I think we're at, we literally hit $20,000 today and we still have two weeks to go. And we're only trying to raise, t- we're, know, we're trying to raise 27800 Yeah. And some of the money has to go back to the old record label. We yeah. have to pay out, and then we have to make a record, and then we have to we have to produce all of the product that people have already purchased, and then we're gonna go on a tour. Well, and if we do better than our mark, we'll do more tours. And if we do create like, then we'll go on a world tour. It's it really is completely at this point up to the fans. They will they get to decide the fate of this band. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's not like we're going to break up or we're going to not do this if you guys don't. It's just, you know, well we, you
1: can you can only I think you can only do so much as the world is giving to you, right? Like you can't just hit your head against the wall to force you can't force things to happen is what what, what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, but you so, got you
0: can't
2: be afraid to put it into the universe. I mean, look, the reality is that I'm shocked and surprised that we've been we, You know, that we've gotten this much this fast. You know, we made $4,000 yesterday. $4,000 in less than 24 hours. It boggles my mind. And it especially boggles my mind when everyone in the music industry, people don't buy records anymore. Nobody buys records anymore. We even make records. Like, our records, are, there's no distribution for them. If you don't come see us play live, you can't get the record. And then we have an online store that is sold out yeah. all the time. So I guess...
1: Niggas are still buying records. Well, I I think it's you can you can't just look at the record thing as the mark. There's yeah, many yeah. different, you know, are you selling t-shirts? Are people yeah. coming to your show? Are you getting well, not, uh, are, not, are people streaming? If you're a new band, your
2: if you're a new band and you're trying to do this like I would I wouldn't get, try to get a record deal. I would try to find money. I would try to find a silent investor and run it like a business. Because if you buy, like, if you're nobody, you can buy onto a tour. You can spend $20,000 and buy onto a tour. And if you're good, you'll double the money you spent because that's what I did. Yeah. But if you suck, it's not going to be a good time for you, bro. It's yeah. just not going to be a good time for you. And it's like people want the record labels to take the gamble, but fuck that. You have to take your own gamble. If you believe in your own product, take the gamble and buy onto the tours that you need to and see what happens. You know, I'm very blessed. I've been around long enough that I can call people and get onto tours. Yeah. But I paid over a decade's worth of time in to be able to do that, you know what I mean? And it's like, you know, it's all the other stuff you don't hear about that I do. That is the reason why people are willing to help me. Yeah. You know, so that's just that's kind of my take on it, you know, and then. I mean, you know, look, I'll say it right here, like we we got all, as a result of the success of the Kickstarter last week, we got offered a one hundred thousand dollar advance from a record company. You know, are we going to take it? I don't know, but I get to choose. Yeah, I'm not thirsty, as they say. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I'm not that there's tons of water here. And, yeah. you know, it's like I have a I have a good job and I love my job. And I, I mean, dude, like I make I make good money. So I'm not I earn a living. So, I have to make smart decisions on what I'm going to do. Like, I'm not just like, let's get in a van and fucking go on this tour with fucking Jimmy's fucking Crab Shack shooters. Like, no. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, put us, we, like, put us, like, figure it out. We need to open for a band that we need to play in front of people. If you're not playing in front of people, then you're not gonna be able to sell your shit, you know? And it's all, it's kind of monopolized so if you haven't been around for a while it's tough because the doors and the gatekeepers are all keeping it locked yeah. because they want you know you can't just go to a band and be like we're gonna we want to pay you guys 20 grand to go on tour with you you can't do that because the managers are like what about my piece and the booking agent is like what about my piece so if you don't have these relationships with these people one on one it's all gonna get fucking funneled shaved down you know and that's the reality of this thing and booking agents they don't want bands to buy on tours because then they don't make they how could they make money it's taking their job away from well, them. Well,
1: it's not only that. It's also if you have a if you have a band buying on, yeah. that means more than likely they don't have a, a draw. Yeah, so but that's I- but
2: the thing the other thing is too is it's like, you know, and I'm, you know, there's like a a thing, a stigma about being a buy on band, which like I'm not afraid to be because I know that I make my money back. So, I don't care. I don't I I literally don't care if my friends were like even if they ask me, like, bro, you gotta give us hundred grand to come on tour, I'd be like, fuck yeah, I will. Do you know why? Because I'm gonna leave this tour with 250 grand. Watch me, watch me hustle. That's my wow.
1: attitude. I want to see that Excel spreadsheet. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, I like I can only talk like this because I I see the numbers. I know what I'm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I have multiple revenue streams where I learned I've learned how to uh, how to bring income in from all different kinds of things. Yeah. You know, so it's just you know be a lot, I, I, I just wanted to be an artist. I did not want to be a businessman and the industry has changed. So my hand has been forced to change, you know, and, and outside of the music industry as a sober companion and an interventionist and all the other things that I do, I've had to learn how to become a businessman. And I'm dealing with people who are, uh, uh, the egos and personality types and and life experiences of people who are the the vast infiniteness of their wealth and experience is beyond anything of anyone I've ever met or dealt with in the music industry and so living with these people and knowing them and knowing how they think it rubs off on you yeah you know and um. you know that's like that's the again like by being of service that's the gift of my life. I get it because I'm really good at one thing or two things and by giving it away, I get other things in return and my life experience becomes thinking about things in a different way of how being close to people who are extremely successful and self-made and then giving them what I've been able to do, but they give me back something whether they realize it or not, you know, and that's like, that's what I take to this.
1: Well, I think that's a good note to wrap this up on. Tommy, really appreciate uh, you coming out and doing this. I appreciate you. Of course. And guys, look look at their Kickstarter and support it. They're an awesome band. And uh, and if it's up good with Tommy, I'm going to play a Westfield Massacre song right after this. Yeah, play it. All right. What you going to play? What do you want me to play? I
2: don't know. All
1: right, we'll figure it out. But there will be a song.
2: There will be a song. Hit it. Poop.
1: westfield massacre's self-titled debut and i hope you enjoyed that talk with me and tommy that was a lot of fun that's definitely i don't know i think it's one, one of one of the best talks done so far we're early but you know i feel very positive about all this so definitely check out their kickstarter and again i appreciate everyone for checking out the show it's uh this is a lot of fun and i have some really cool people coming up and i'm gonna keep i'm gonna keep at it. the x-men don't stop all right y'all be good mamba
0: out